You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, Asbury, and welcome to Friday. Welcome to Friday Chapel, an opportunity to worship together. So today in chapel, we have a conversation about Christian liberal arts and you as Asbury students and what that means for you and your experience here at Asbury. So our conversation panelists will be Dr. Kevin Brown, Dr. Sherry Powers, Dr. Dan Strait, and Dr. Elise Kearns. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great conversation today. So we're in for good intellectual and heart fodder. Hey, good morning. Happy Friday. If you are not familiar with Kentucky in the winter, this is a great example over the last few days. We had our windows opened in our offices yesterday because it was too hot. And I think it's going to snow later today. So this is very, very typical of Kentucky. Hey, there are a few things that I hope we can do this morning in chapel. First and foremost, I wanted to take this time to introduce you to our new provost, Dr. Sherry Powers, and for you to get to know her. It's an opportunity for us to showcase some of our faculty, and we want to have a conversation about something that is an enduring conversation on this campus, but I think it's also very relevant to this moment. What is a liberal arts education? What is its value? So you will get to hear from some very articulate, intelligent people on that issue. But before we get into that, Dr. Powers, would you be willing just to introduce yourself to the campus, uh, share a little about yourself, your background with Asbury education, and some things that you are excited about in the days ahead? Sure, thank you, and it's good to see everybody this morning. Um, I am a proud graduate of the class of 1977, the Viking class from Asbury College, now Asbury University, and um, you know, from, I, I really cannot remember a time in my life that I was not in some way impacted and familiar with Asbury College, now Asbury University. Uh, the pastor that led my father to Christ uh, while he was in college uh, was um, a graduate of Asbury College and a graduate of Asbury Theological Seminary. And his wife uh, really spent many, many hours discipling my mother as a young Christian. So when I began looking uh, at um, different schools, I'm from North Carolina, and began looking at different schools, um, to go to college. Asbury was high on my list. Um, and uh, over the years, I've stayed connected with Asbury in one way or another, and it's always been just a joy and an honor to serve um, my son, my daughter, my husband, my daughter-in-law, her parents, some of her extended family, her brother, my sister are all graduates of Asbury. So not only do we love Asbury and uh, have have really benefited from uh, this university. Um, we've all tried to be very conscious about giving back and investing. We're thrilled that you are here. And of course we have Dr. Dan Strait and Dr. Elise Kearns. Would you just give a brief, I think everyone on campus knows who you both are, but could you just give a brief summary or description of who you are, what you do on campus? Sure, hi, I'm Elise Kearns and I teach in the science and health department. I am a physical therapist, and so I teach 
those students that are looking to go into physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech and language pathology, physician's assistant. There's just a, a wide range of lots of health professions that, that I teach. And I'm Daniel Strait. I teach in the English department at Asbury. And uh, my primary responsibilities are teaching some of the older periods, Shakespeare and uh, medieval literature and Milton and literature and culture and a variety of other classes. Okay, so Dr. Strait, there is this narrative challenge to liberal arts, and I think it goes something like this. this. This story that if you enter into a liberal arts education, it's this ivory tower, highfalutin, interesting education that is ultimately useless for students who enter into the real world. So I was wondering if you would be willing to, to react to that narrative. I feel like you're trying to pick a fight with me right now. Uh, no, I, I mean, I would say that from the, from the very first utterance of a claim like that, it sort, of, it sort of begins to kind of make the point about the value that all of you, the education that all of you are pursuing here at Asbury. Because you know that narratives are generated by any number of sources, and they spring from any set of extraordinary assumptions, and they make all kinds of claims, and they're conditioned by any variety of, of influences. So, I mean, I think the first thing when I hear something like that, and I have been hearing that, and aside from the fact that I think it's delusional, um, I, I feel as though um, the education that you're getting at Asbury is precisely the kind of education that you'll need to test the assumptions of not only that narrative, but also to begin to kind of identify where that set of values even comes from, right? What, what, what purpose does that narrative even serve? I mean, a lot of it's driven by, this is going to sound a bit, you know, kind of grumpy on my part, but a lot of it's driven by corporate America. And frankly, as much as I feel... Uh, uh, as though uh, the jobs that our students will go in, and, and pursue and get within corporate America are great and wonderful and amazing opportunities, my, my education and, and yours is simply not reducible to the set of values that a corporation decides that I should have. And so, in many ways, then, fundamentally, a liberal arts education is about the free life, about not necessarily believing everything that you hear and just simply accepting it passively as though it were absolute truth. Yes. Yeah. And Dr. Kearns, I, I would turn that over to you as well. So someone might look at like pre-PT or exercise science. What is the value of what we do here and our educational paradigm and how that's deliberately collected together for someone who's planning to enter into a field like that? Sure. You know, some of my students are probably, they've heard this from me for sure before. You know, I can teach, and being in the healthcare industry for many years, I could have a set, a skill set that would be to put my hands and, and do a joint mobilization, do some sort of technique that I've learned um, across my years of schooling. But really, the lasting impact that I had on someone who was sitting in front of me, that person, that human, was really my relationship with them during their time of need and suffering. Because let's face it, most people don't come to a healthcare professional because they're feeling well. So in their time of need, yes, you have a skill set, 
that you need to do and you need to remember and you need to be able to do. But you're really, your craft is much more than that. So I think the value of an education here at Asbury is really honing your heart, your mind, your soul, along with your craft and your technique. So let me tie both of those comments together. I 100% agree with Dr. Strait that what we do here is not reducible to um, what you might call a a set of um, utilitarian skills that are in service to the functions of some institution or whatnot. Um, So I, I agree with that. However, in, insofar as there is this, uh, this idea, and especially this, this really accelerated you all post-financial crisis, where there was really a, a significant shift within the United States about how we even conceptualize higher education. And it, it very much turned uh, more closely to this, this notion that I should be able to get a job. This is preparing me for a job. And institutions exist to foster the social and economic potential of students. Hard stop. Um, so again, I, I, I think that's an impoverished definition. But insofar as that is someone's understanding of college and university, I, I think there might be a place, and I'd love to hear your responses to this, to say this is the best education for that environment. Because when you talk to employers, and you all, I pay a lot of attention to this. <laughs> when, you, when you look at what employers are saying, yeah, they, they need those, those technical skills from students where you can step into a role and fulfill that role, fulfill some function, and that requires an understanding of skills. But you need a lot more than that. You need judgment, and you need critical thinking, and you need problem solving. You need to be able to work with other people effectively. You need to be able to articulate yourself and communicate. You need prudential judgment, not just like the the right thing at the right time for the right reason. You need a service mentality. These these are expressions. This is not Kevin Brown. It's not Asbury. These are expressions from employers throughout the United States and throughout the world. So I just wonder, could you react to that? Is there a place where we can also say that as well? Well, I know um, my background is in uh, educator preparation. I spent a number of years as an elementary school teacher before going back to school and eventually going into higher education as a professor and academic administrator. I've met with business uh, leaders, especially principals, superintendents, um, and, and just community leaders. And one of the things that they always talk about is that they are... There are many skills they can hire someone and teach them that skill set. They cannot teach them integrity, imagination, problem solving. Uh, they need them to come to the work to their workplace with uh, a set of skills in which they value others' um, opinions and know how to work collaboratively with their colleagues. And uh, as recently as earlier this week, a friend of mine who owns a small business in advertising business in Lexington uh, contacted me about a position, and she said, I'm really interested in potential Asbury graduates or students who will be graduating because I can teach them what I need them to know about web design and the technical skills. I can't teach problem-solving, imagination. And she went through... um, the things you were just talking about, Dr. Brown. And uh, 
I think that you find the same things when I talk with principals, superintendents, uh, just members of the community. So I have a good example of this. So I had the privilege of teaching here in 2014 through 18, and so I had some pre-physical therapy students at the time. Thanks for coming back, by yes. the way. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So when I went and taught at UK in their Doctor of Physical Therapy program, some of those same students that I had here went on to attend UK's DPT program. So I was here with them as a senior, and then I was teaching them in the first year class in the DPT program. So when they go out on clinical rotations in their second and third year, I was responsible for calling some of their clinical instructors at the midterm, finding out how things were going, what kind of comments and feedback. And I had some non-Asbury students as well. And so overwhelmingly, the Asbury students never did I ever hear anything other than they relate so well to the patients. They're so caring. They're really invested in this person's life. Those types of comments were what I would hear. And not that I wouldn't hear that on any of the other students, but it was always glaring. And I knew without a doubt that when I was going to make that phone call from an Asbury student, that that's what I was going to hear. And those were the things that stuck out to this clinical instructor. Because most everybody could do the techniques that were being asked of them, but not everybody had that, had that to offer. I mean, in, in response to your, your question about the relationship between skill acquisition and that larger transformative learning that is very much at the heart of Asbury, I'll just, I'll just you know, speaking from a, as a member of the English department, I'll, I'll point out that, that obviously we want every Asbury student to be a great writer, a good writer, a solid writer, a great communicator. Now, there are a lot of challenges here. One of the reasons is that writing is just really hard. And the reason why it's hard is that it's a form of thinking. It's not just a form of mere transmission or information processing. It is a form of thinking. And that's one of the reasons why essays are so demanding, is that you have to sort of simultaneously kind of confront the subject, but you also have to confront the capacity that you've developed for thinking about that subject. So. All of us are in this leaky boat together. We sometimes kind of shrink back from that demand, and we kind of abdicate our role as, as thinkers. And so one of the things that I would argue is that writing is one of those essential, if I can use this term once, marketable skills. But you're always going to take your, your, your ability as a writer, as a, as a writer who thinks, right, into an organization. And that organization is going to be part of a really complex social order. We're made up of very, very complex groups of people who hold, potentially anyway, incommensurate values. Now, you either work with them in a kind of team environment, or even if you're working remotely at home, you're still connected to an organization, and maybe even then the demands of communication even go up, right? Because you have to then negotiate what it means to kind of communicate uh, to a diverse group of audiences, uh, along a, a, an array of different subjects and so on. So that's one great skill that we do want you to hone here, but we don't want you to hone it in isolation as though it were the product of some pedantic set of exercises that lead nowhere. It's actually uh, the, the best form of cultivating the best kind of your thinking. Now, it's painful. Even for, uh, for all of us as writers in the English department, it's painful. It requires... All of us. I, I come up with a hundred excuses to sort of walk away from my computer when I have time to write. It's, it's like, oh, you know, maybe I should start cleaning the bathrooms at home now. That sounds like a good idea. Any, any exercise of avoidance, because I know that it requires 
so much of what I bring, but also a confrontation with what I don't necessarily know, but I need to be on my way toward thinking through that. And that is a moment of great reward, but it also can be a kind of initially uh, one of those very sobering moments. That's really well said from everyone. So speaking of writing, uh, I've been somewhat obsessed at the end of November of last year. Some of you may know uh, a company called OpenAI put out this adaptive uh, language learning model, uh, artificial intelligence called ChatGPT. Has anyone played with that? Uh, a few? Yeah. It, it's wild. So one of the prompts is, you know, write an essay on blah, 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 and it will spit it out. And th this idea that it can just assemble um, based upon our prompt, uh, scour the internet and grab everything together. And I think artificial intelligence is fascinating because it does force us to think carefully about what is it about our education and our educational philosophy and our pedagogy and what we do that separates us, that makes us distinct from increasingly intelligent AI. And I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I'll go ahead and start. So if you think about it, <clears throat> long ago I was involved in the theory of wellness class, which I'm sure a lot of you have you've taken that one. So wellness, if you think of wellness and all the different factors that go into wellness, it's not just one, one thing, right, that would make you well. There's all those different physical, social, interpersonal, all those things. So if you think about AI in that way, okay, I could spit out some research little blurb or I could spit out and have something, but really that encompasses just one thing if I'm thinking in terms of, of healthcare professionals. I could have a research paper and have artificial AI spit out some form of writing, but really that isn't what's going to help. Just that alone is not going to help someone along the wellness continuum. So I think in terms of AI as just one little snippet of what it would mean to bring a whole person to the table. Yes. I, I'm trying to kind of, you know, I'm trying to get over the, the, the trauma of thinking about the, the chat GPT for a minute. But, but I think that one of the, one of the things that, that this environment is cultivating uh, and the kind of education that we're trying to deliver is, is in partly, sort of in part a response to the fact that, that you, are, you are not just instruments or tools for use. You're actually sub-creators, right? It's not just that you're going to be assembling things. You're actually going to be creating things. And, you know, if we've, if we've learned anything from our reading of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and, and, and those sort of gallery of writers, that there is a really, really powerful imaginative dimension to being a sub-creator. And frankly, uh, the, the, the chat stuff that's been generated that I have read is uh, dutiful, it is correct, more or less, factually, it is uh, grammatically sound, uh, but there is a kind of dullness to it. Yeah. It's, it's so routinized and so bland that it reads, some of them read like just well-constructed emails and without any kind of soul at all. And that's what, that's what, or imagination, and that's what you bring to the activity of making and meaning-making. And there's not any province of your experience, work, family, faith, where, 
where you're not going to be engaged in meaning-making and, and, and forging human connections by virtue of how you use language, how you respond to language, how you inhabit your circumstances, how you relate to, to intricate and remarkable people uh, that you're never going to be able to treat the same as you move from one person to another. You're not going to just assemble a group of friends. You have to encounter those people in really specific and distinct ways. Everybody's fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's an inexhaustible quality of, of being human. And I'm not going to turn that over to a machine. I just think machines are incapable of accounting for that. Um, well, from a rather pragmatic point of view, because I think I'm right with, with you all, um, you know, I think about something. I got into a discussion a number of years ago with um, some, some of my students that I had in an education class. And, uh, you know, all of you, whether you remembered or not, someone taught you to write your name. You know, it's a skill, and you've used it throughout your life. But the, but the thing is, it's not just enough for someone to teach you how to write your name. You have to know when and where it is appropriate to use your name to sign documents. It's the application of using that skill that's really important. And, uh, and I think, you know, in terms of artificial intelligence, a lot of the, it, just a lot of things that, um, you know, we, we think about um, in this day and time, there are people who have invested in us, who have walked beside us, who have really taught us and modeled for us how to apply a skill in a much bigger way that imp impacts our lives and oftentimes the, the lives of others around us. Yeah, there's a great quote, uh, the ethicist Martha Nussbaum. She says, a good doctor is also a good poisoner. And the difference between a doctor saving a life and taking a life is their moral fortitude in the application of their moral excellence. And so, just like where we put our signature, it's one, it's one thing to have, possess the skill, it's another thing in its rightful use and application. Which is why so many classical definitions of education, which I love and which this institution draws on, doesn't simply speak to what you intellectually know or proficiency, some demonstration of a skill, but it's your affection, it's what you love, it's what you orient and give your life toward. Um, I wanted to, I'm, I'm mindful of the time, uh, I, I did want to ask this uh, of you all. So there was a Gallup poll recently, and the, the term liberal arts is just unpopular. Now, I was thankful uh, that the article describing the poll was quick to point out it's misunderstood. <laughs> it's unpopular because it's very misunderstood. And so there are really two responses to, to this problem. One is you can try to articulate a better understanding of the term. And another is to provide an alternate expression uh, that conveys the value of liberal arts. And to this latter point, if, if you were explaining what this is to someone that just fundamentally misunderstood it, what might be some other descriptions that you would provide to help them understand this is what is meant when an institution like Asbury talks about liberal arts? Okay, I think I would say something to the effect of liberal arts is not necessarily a destination or this is where, okay, I've completed that, I'm finished with that. It's not, it's really more of a way of being 
and thinking and a lifelong learning concept rather than a destination. So liberal arts would not be a road to an endpoint necessarily. It's basically a road that really doesn't have an end, an end point, more like a roundabout. Yeah, you know, that, that phrase, and, and I've, I've actually tried to stop using it because it has this, it's, it's succumbed to a, uh, to, it's just an embattled phrase. It's one of those phrases that gets pushed around as though everybody knows what we mean by it, and we all kind of nod our heads and thinking, oh, yes, liberal arts, and we all kind of, but, but, but we then don't necessarily go on to have a discussion about what it actually entails. And, and there are certain, certainly a million things that it isn't, I mean, one of the things that it's not some sort of glorified, trivial pursuit, right, where you spend this huge amount of money on four years of education so that someday you hope that you're in a coffee house listening to jazz music and someone says Hamlet and you go, hey, I, I read that play. And then the response is like, you've read Hamlet? Yeah. Have you? No, but cool. <laughs> See you later. That's like a BA in, in no. Uh, so I, it's, it's a bad form of cultural literacy. It's not about that. I mean, it is, it is fundamentally about the very ground of making inquiries into everything that's significantly human. And I can't think of anything that any one of you will do anywhere that won't draw on that significant capacity. I, I just was on a Zoom call the other day with a good friend who's the, the director of innovation at a market research company, heavy analytics, data-driven marketing company in Miami, right? Really international kind of center. And her firm has tried to recover the term human. They don't, it's, the, the, the word consumer is banned from their meetings. Everything is trying to recover some sense of the narrative needs of people. Now, the data stuff is there, and it certainly speaks into their meetings, for sure. So quantitative literacy, enormously important. But I just was kind of inspired by the fact that the two words that came out of her mouth were, yes, we're trying to recover a deeper conception of the human, and then we're trying to talk more about storytelling. And I'm kind of like, it's like a revelation. I mean, this is, this is a beautiful kind of development in their firm. And that's what we're doing here on so many levels and on so many fronts and in so many different areas. And what a wonderful link to our Christian faith that we're not just, uh, we're a liberal arts institution, oh, and we have chapel three times a week. That actually our faith and our faith commitments give shape to our educational paradigm as well. Uh, and I wonder if anyone would be willing to elaborate on that. Well, I can give you a, uh, an example of, from my experience at Asbury. Uh, I don't remember if it was my, I think it was toward the end of my freshman year. I was taking um, a science class, mid-70s, so um, there was a lot of discussion going on, a lot in the media, a lot of talk about test tube babies in churches. Uh, and, you know, I had listened and heard people talk about it, their perspectives, opinions, were all over the map. So I was taking a science class and uh, we were in a unit on uh, human reproduction and genetics. And one day the, um, the instructor of the class, the professor, uh, said, we're gonna talk about test tube babies and you know what it is, what it isn't, uh, the ethics of it. So we had this discussion and 
I was really very uncomfortable because I didn't know what to think. I didn't know where to, to kind of uh, come down on, you know, I was listening to all my classmates that seemed much uh, more informed on the matter than I was. And also, I, at the same time, I was taking an Old Testament class. Well, we were studying Genesis, <laughs> creation. And I don't remember all the particulars about how those, uh, you know, the content uh, connected. But I do remember that there were connections. And I can remember talking to both instructors, really trying to figure this out. Um, but what happened through that whole experience is that I think because of, of studying uh, at a place like Asbury in a Christian context, as well as a liberal arts foundation, I really began to see God as being much bigger than I had ever understood. One of the things the science uh, professor said to us, and I've remembered it throughout my entire life and career, um, there, there was a lot of discussion. Some of it was, you know, uh, hard discussion. But she said, you never have to be afraid of anything like this. God is always the creator. And so he gives us the opportunity to learn and to grow. And it doesn't always happen overnight. But, but you have to keep working through it, thinking about it and embedding it in terms of um, scripture and theology. I've always remembered that because, you know, even as, as, much, uh, as recent as a couple of months ago when I was presenting at a, a professional, before a professional group, some things came up about some theory. And in my mind, I'm having to think through, okay, how does this educational theory align with what I know about who God is and life as a Christian. Thank you. And thank you all. This, this has been wonderful. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed this. Let me, let me just share um, just a few quick thoughts to, to wrap up. I uh, travel a lot with Dr. Mark Troyer. I see a lot of alumni and love to hear what, what they miss and what they appreciate and that thumbprint that Asbury University left upon them. And they'll talk about the tradition. They'll talk about uh, how their faith was enlarged here and cultivated. They might talk about some facilities and events and that, but they always, they always talk about a person. And the faculty, the staff in all of the schools are so committed to exactly what you're hearing right here on stage. I used to share with Dr. Steve Clements how much I appreciated when I was a faculty member. He would send around articles and then say, hey, during lunch, let's gather faculty and let's talk about this. Let's think about this because it matters. We're not just purveyors of information to students. We want to do this with you. We want to be great thinkers. We want to honor the Lord our God with our minds, with our hearts, and we want our affections to be rightly ordered to the way that he designed us. So, Asbury, I just want to, uh, I, I can't say this enough, I believe in this, I believe in these people, I know you do as well, and I'm excited for our semester and our time together. So let's close in prayer, uh, and then we'll move on with our time together. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this unique space at Asbury University, academic excellence and spiritual vitality. And Lord, where we want the best from this educational paradigm uh, to shape our minds, to shape our hearts, uh, Lord, to cultivate those capacities and those judgments and those sensibilities for living well, for serving others, and for honoring and glorifying you. 
And Lord, I pray that that's what we would do. I pray that the end of this, Lord, would be the fullest realization of our students' humanity. Lord, the edification of those around us, our communities, our spheres of influence, the common good, the institutions we serve. And Lord, salt and light for your glory so that when others see us, they see you. Father, we thank you. I pray that you would be present on this campus. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.